So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible School is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of what, the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. Hey, good people. I'm so glad you decided to join us, man. I'm, I'm incredibly excited today about the word. We're picking back up in Genesis 6. If you remember, we, we talked about Noah and we didn't get much further. Well, I, exp- I plan to get through the entire flood today, so I'm going to go ahead and apologize if we make it more than 50 minutes. Um, I want to go ahead and put all this together because it's so much. Like, it's, it's just jam-packed. And, y'all, that's one of the beautiful things about digging these scriptures down um, and relating the history and relating the science and relating all of this stuff um, is that, you know, I'm convinced, and I've said it over and over again, I believe that science and history point back to one place, Jesus Christ. I don't believe that things happen in this world that are not going to point to Jesus Christ. Even even the most satanic things are motivated to destroy or to take away from Jesus Christ, which points to his sovereignty yet again. And it's one of those beautiful things when you can read his word and you can look at history, you can look at current events and you can see his fingerprints and the adversary's fingerprints trying to discredit him written all, all over everything. So we're going to pick up where we left off. I'm actually going to pick up two verses that we actually covered last week because I think they're important. I was just excited, so I put—I guess I put the cart before the—I uh, car- <laughs> put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse last week. But we're going to pick up right there at verse 13 in chapter six. We're going to be traveling through uh, chapters seven, six, seven, eight, and nine tonight, if the Lord's will. And we're going to dig into this thing, y'all. It's 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 it's, it's jam packed with stuff. I'm I'm sure you've heard the story of the ark, but I don't think you've heard it. This this way, unless you went to seminary. Um, and, and so let's, let's, I mean, let's dig in. Uh, so we see at verse 13, it begins reading. We're in chapter six. He says, and, and God said to Noah, uh, then the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make art, uh, make the rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Okay. So those first two verses, uh, actually have significance and probably, uh, four or five years ago, I would have read that and been like, okay, cool. He, he built it out of wood. <laughs> Tell me something I didn't know. Uh, but gopher wood, uh, the wood points to, uh, the humanity. We see even when they built the tabernacle and when you do a study of the tabernacle, the wood was sign- uh, a signification of the humanity of man, which points to the humanity of Christ. Uh, just like the gold pointed to his purity and the silver pointed to his blood. And, and we could just go on and on and on about the tabernacle. Maybe one day we'll talk about it. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, but you know, wh- one thing we can look at is the wood points to his hum- humanity. Now, the funny thing is that, you know, I'm a construct, one of my degrees is in construction. And when I was a freshman at Auburn university, I remember sitting in introduction to construction or maybe it was introduction to constate. It may have been methods and materials. I'm sorry. All these classes I've taken, but when I took methods and materials, we learned that in its purest state, in this, in its most perfect state, wood is actually the most, uh, 
is the strongest substance, which is like hard to believe because we break wood all the time. Uh, but in comparison to steel, in comparison to um, rock, and all of the stuff that we think of as rock and sturdy, but in its perfect state, wood is actually the strongest material, which is like one of those mind-blown moments. Um, I remember sitting in that classroom in the notorious B6 at Auburn and being like, you've got to be kidding me. But uh, the, the way it's designed in its perfect state, it is, it's when the imperfections and all of the other things begin to penetrate this thing we call wood. We see it being weakened and wet and just issues um, about, which is, I mean, that's just kind of cool. God decided, he says, go for wood. That's how I want you to build it. He didn't say go mix these together and go create cementitious material. He didn't tell him to go and try to find some precious metals and melt it down. He told him to use gopher wood, which is, you know, this is uh, signifies humanity. Um, when he talks about pitching, pitching it within and without, um, pitching is translated everywhere. That word that, that was used for pitching is translated everywhere in the Bible, except in this location as the word atonement. Now, that, I think that's, that's, that's amazing because we think about what's happening. God is incredibly dismayed with humanity. He's so upset with humanity that he, he has Enoch have a son called Methuselah. And, you know, we talked about Methuselah meaning that when, it, when he dies, it shall come. And so his, this son is like God's grace extension. He's like, you go preach this word and hopefully somebody will turn to me uh, and, and we'll be able to save them and, and save them. But he's so upset with these people um, and nobody wants to repent. Nobody repents. Like the only people that get on this boat are Noah and his family. And it's not like they didn't have an opportunity. Like Noah is preaching, hey, come get on this boat. Uh, salvation is free, but you do not want to get left on this earth and nobody hears it, which, you know, it is, it's like it takes me back to. Really, it takes me to where I am right now, where I'm teaching that revelation study that you all can tune into as well. Um, and well, or you can show up in person if you're in Alabama, because I'm teaching it in like three different places. Uh, but it brings me back to this revelation study because I'm, you know, I'm preaching it because I'm like, you don't want to get left here. Um, and I think that people are, are ignorant of what the Bible says about revelation. And, and as a Christian, there's really nothing to be afraid of. But if you're not a Christian, there's everything to be afraid of. Um, and so Noah's plight of preaching and nobody hearing him, I can kind of relate to other than the fact that I've found that people tend to be receptive when you teach them the word, um, which I think is a change in the heart of man from then to now. But there are also people who will challenge the word. And I've taught Bible studies in collegiate environments where the word is indeed challenged and dismissed, um, which takes me right back to what Noah was going through and Enoch was going through and probably Methuselah himself as they're preaching redemption, 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 and nobody wants to hear it. Um, and I just think it's, it's one, it's, it's, it's kind of mind boggling that the same issues that they had thousands and thousands of years ago are some of the issues that some of us, uh, who preach and, uh, teach this gospel, are still encountering here today. The same issues that Christ had 2000 years ago are the same issues we're having today, um, which is, it's a little dismaying, um, but it also makes you feel as though you're doing what you're supposed to do. Because if the spiritual giants of the Bible had to deal with this, what makes me any better? Right. Okay. Now, um, one thing we can look at is, I guess I'll go, just go ahead and read these scriptures. Uh, verse 15 uh, starts where we start seeing what the, the dynamics of how it's supposed to be built. So verse 15, he says, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and it's height 30 cubits. 
And so now when we start looking at what this cubit is, there are several types of cubits. We have the Egyptian cubit. There's the Greek cubit. There are like two different Hebrew cubits. Uh, the Romans have a cubit. And um, I think there's even a lab, a Latin cubit. But when we look at what a cubit is, it ranges between about 15 and 18 inches um, as we know them. Um, or uh, some civilizations said from the elbow to the their, your um from the elbow to your your ring finger, no, your middle finger, uh, that length. Well, we know that that's that, that's not really dependable. Um, I'm I'm four eleven, and granted, I have a longer wingspan than I am vertical, but I guarantee that most of your wings, most of your uh, elbows to your <laughs> the tip of your finger is going to be much longer than mine, um, just because I'm I'm not that large, um, and and so we that's not a dependable um, mode of, of of measurement, but we can take what we know and, and put it together and say by 18, this is a really big boat. Um, as we do our calculations, it is believed that the Titanic is about the same size as the Ark, which is not really a great comparison considering the Ark, the uh, cup, the Titanic sunk on his maiden voyage. And they said this is the unsinkable ship. But I'm willing to bet that the, the Titanic sunk not because they were being, well, because they were being careless, but because they tried God. People were talking about, oh, God himself couldn't sink this thing. And, and <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a mistake all by itself. God is like, try me. <laughs> and I'll show you what I, who I am and what I can do. I'll show you how sovereign I really am. You really want to try me? You don't want none of this. And he, he presented to them who he really was and what he really could do. Um, and, and he proved just how strong and just how omnipotent he was. Um, and, and they tried him, but you know, on the converse side of things, I believe Noah had, had divine help. He had a divine, um, outline. He had a divine order and an ordination. And this is just early proof that when God gives vision, he always has provision. He'll give you uh, divine strength. He'll give you divine providence. He'll give you everything that you need to do the impossible and to do the immeasurable and to go above and beyond what he would have ever imagined. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the Lord that we serve. That is the, one of the beautiful things about his word is that his word, A, will never return void. Um, and so by him speaking that you shall do something, he's going to give you what you shall do so that that shall will be made manifest. Uh, the only way to miss that is when we uh, outrightly are defiant and disobey what he said. And to be honest with you, that's crazy. Now, just sidebar, as a kid, I used to get in trouble. If I ever got in trouble, it was like for disobedience. And, you know, it wasn't like I was like this bad kid, but I was like this thinking kid. And so if my parents told me to do something I didn't want to do. I didn't do it because I didn't want to do it. Um, and so then she oh, so you disobeyed me. And, and it wasn't that I, I, I wanted to, like, be a problem child. I was just like, I thought what you said was stupid, so I didn't do it. Um, God is, is kind of like my folks. Uh, oh, so you disobeyed me. Oh, let me show you what disobeying me will get you. Um, and so thank God that Noah was obedient. And re regardless of how crazy people thought that he was, uh, because he was out there preaching. He was out there saying, look, this is this is the way you want to go. This is the the only way to be saved in this situation, which we're going to tie right back to Christ. Y'all think about that. I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life that nobody can get to the Father but through me. And the art kind of just kind of parallels that a little bit. Like, And, 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 and I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit later. But the art was the only way to be saved or to be spared from the flood. Um, and, and, and like I told y'all, this word ties itself up together and then it causes all history and all signs to point directly back to him. And I just think it's one of the most amazing things. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's one of the most interesting books to read. Um, and then 
it's, it's even more interesting and more fun when you come to know Christ for yourself because you're like, yeah, that's my Jesus. <laughs> he did that. <laughs> it is. It's absolutely, absolutely amazing. But as we continue to read on through scripture, uh, he says, verse 16, he says, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it from one cubit from above and shut the bar, the door of the ark inside and you should make it lower second and third decks. So a lot of people believe that <laughs> that is like this, this window is like only a cubit. Now y'all think about that, a window that's only a cubit, um, and all these stinky animals on board, like that's not enough ventilation. Um, so people who have made an account and have seen the ark, um, believe that it was, uh, said, say that it, it was, it was a cubit high, but it went the length of the boat. And that kind of makes a little more sense as far as, um, ventilating the boat and getting some of that stinkiness out of the boat. Because y'all think about that. You got a lot of people stink after a few days in the same room without a bath. And you got all these filthy animals who have never bathed. Like I, I bet that thing was rancid. Um, but that's just me, me <laughs> using my own um, thought processes on what it was. God may have had some kind of divine deodorant, but I, I kind of doubt it. Um, <laughs> um, but he says, he's, he continues and he's about the window. He says, then you shall finish it uh, from a cubit above and set the door of the ark on his side. Okay. So the door, there's only one door. Um, again, that's a parallel right to Jesus Christ. Uh, there's only one door on this side. There's only one way in. Okay. And once you get in, you know, you're in, but there's one way in. I am the way, the truth and the life. Uh, there's only one way to the father. Uh, that's the only way to get salvation. And, and at that, at that period, although we're not talking about Christ dying on the cross for sin, uh, we do see a mode of salvation. You've got to come to me. Um, one thing interesting about the whole flood situation to me is that the, on the way to get, um, the way to, to obtain salvation in this sense, all they had to do was say, I trust God, I'm getting on the boat. Um, and what does that sound like? That sounds like um, our salvation mode now through Christ Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I confess you. I believe that you're real. Now I'm saved. Glory to God. Um, you know, granted, there are, there are other things that we're supposed to do, but to get the salvation in its barest, rarest form, all you have to do is say, I believe you. Uh, and believe, actually do believe what you said, and, and you're saved. Um, and, and that's all they had to do, but the, the crazy thing is nobody repented. Like, that's crazy to me. Nobody repented. Now, granted, um, let's look at this from a carnal sense. Noah was a drunk, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody has a drunk uncle, drunk grandpa, drunk somebody, and when that drunk uncle, drunk grandpa be saying stuff that's out of the blue, you just be like, okay, you chill. Um, especially, you know, like, especially if, the, if you've never seen rain, like there's no rain at this point in the Bible, like there's rain has not happened. Um, and, and there's re reasonable cause to say that there was a, a thermal layer or a, a condensation layer around the earth. And that's why they were living such long lives, uh, up until this point. Um, and so the rain had not fallen. Um, and, and I'll be sure to, to make sure that we touch on that more in depth as we proceed through this broadcast. But there, there was no rain. No rain had fallen from the sky at this point. And you hear somebody saying that the water is going to fall from the sky. Like you, you probably, and then, and then he's a drunk. And so you're probably looking at him like, okay, who, who let him out the house today? Um, but granted, he was preaching this thing for a long time and he's putting up this boat and he was probably the neighborhood crazy guy. Um, but he was still preaching this thing. He was still faithful to it. He was still doing it. 
And I mean, that just goes to say that people are going to think that you're crazy for believing what you believe, but that doesn't mean that you stop believing it or that you stop believing that God is um, not omnipotent or not omniscient or he's not, you know, everything in between. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, and, and that's another thing in his flawedness, in his issues, in the problems that he had, he was still seen as he still found favor in the sight of God. And that's just a, that's just a heads up and a, a moment of worship and praise for all of us to be like, praise the Lord, that even though I'm screwed up, even though I make mistakes daily, even though I do things that I'm ashamed to talk about, I'm grateful that you love me. I'm grateful that you've redeemed me. I'm grateful that I have a place and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Um, and that you can use me in spite of my flaws. You know, like we talked about last time that Noah was perfect in his generations. And then it says, and Noah walked with God. We believe he's perfect in his generations, A, because he wasn't mixed with all, all of these angels, but that he walked with God. And we think that's the important part. He walked with God. Um, and so I, I want to make sure that I stress this enough and I'll make sure that I stress this as we go through this entire Bible study over the course of I, I'm probably years in teaching this, this, this course and, 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 and Bible school, but it's not about what you do. Okay. At this point, it's not about what you do. Now the Jewish faith, um, and all of the things that we'll see in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, judges, all of that stuff was about what you do, but it was the proof that we were not good enough. Okay. That it didn't matter how many rules you had. It didn't matter how many ways you had to atone for the rules. We still would fall short and that we were still in need of a savior and a God. Um, and I just think that was God's kind of payback plan for like, look, I made this perfect world for you. I gave you everything and I made one command for you and you couldn't keep one command. So how do you think you're going to keep thousands and thousands of rules? Um, but we needed a savior. We're, we're, we're imperfect people. We needed a savior and that's what he provides. And he, this is the first time he's providing something similar because he's so upset with us. And that's just one of the things that God hates. He hates sin. He can't deal with like the mess. And like, let's, let's, I mean, let's just kind of empathize with God. Of course we can't get in, we can't be God and we can't imagine, but let's empathize with God. Surely we all have our things. Uh, for me, I can't deal with like gnats and bugs. And so if I walk into a house that is dirty and it has smells, like my nose is really sensitive, it has smells and there are bugs flying around, like I'm going to probably flip out and start itching and like go into like <laughs> this allergic reaction to the dirt <laughs> and the mess. And, and, and it's kind of like a nerve thing for me. I'm allergic to a lot of stuff, but like I, some of the stuff I think is like mental. <laughs> and I, but for me, like I get so upset, I get so frustrated, I get so disgusted that I just have to remove myself from the situation. And so we just like amplify that by like a bazillion and you think about that's how God felt about sin. He's like, why, why would you allow yourself to live in this situation? Like, why would you allow this? Like, I don't understand why you live like this. Like I told you not to, but you are doing it in any way. And so when we look at God and we look at the way that he operates and the, th the way that he loves us and the way that he, he is excited about loving us and holding us and, and doing these things, he just cannot deal with us dwelling in the sin, the way that we do and the way that we were at this time. And so he had to do, he had to get rid of it. Like he was, he was probably like me on steroids, like, this is disgusting. Like you, like, why would you do this? And so he was angry and he had to destroy uh, the world because it, it just, it was just not, it was not fixable. And, and this was just like the part of his redemptive plan. Like I don't want us to think that this was some knee jerk reaction because he woke up one day and just got upset. Remember, he sent Methuselah. 
um, he had, he had Enoch and he, he had been watching this for a while, but he had Enoch who he loved and Enoch has a son, Methuselah and Methuselah. He was given his name prophetically when it, when it, he dies, it shall come. So he gives him 960 years. That was Methuselah's life to get it right. And yet nobody got it right. Um, and that's, that's kind of disgusting. If we're going to be real about it, that's like really disgusting that in 960 years of preaching this thing and him extending grace, Nobody got it, but we're going to move right along because we have a lot to cover. <laughs> um, but so we, we just looked at the, 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 the ark and, and that window that ventilated everything. And then he also gives him these other instructions. He says, you shall make it lower second and third deck. So, um, the accounts of people who have seen the ark that is still parked at Ararat, um, say that that have entered said that it's got three he's got the three floors just like he's given and that's one thing that i think we ought to note is that he gives explicit instructions on how to build this thing he gives them explicit provision on how to build it and he gives them the strength the knowledge how to go about it okay in his explicit instruction on how to build it i think it's important that we go back and look at he was pitched within and without with it being pitched within without pitch is a preserver Okay, atonement. It was a preserver. Um, the fact that people still can go and see this uh, this ark, I mean, thousands and thousands of years later, uh, speaks to the need or the possibility that God may use it again to prove a point. Um, as I do believe we are nearing tribulation. I do believe we are in tribulation, and if you want to hear more about that, you'll have to tune into the Revelation study. Um, but as I do believe that we are nearing tribulation and we are nearing rapture time and, and all of that stuff, I believe he's going to use that ark again. Um, why else would it still be sitting? And why else would it be at Ararat where it's ice? And we know ice is a preserver. Um, and so that is pretty much intact. I mean, that's just me. I could be very wrong. Like I could be so far left, but that's just that's just what I see and what I, what I would imagine. Do not make up doctrine out of that. Again, I want you to be like the church in Acts 17, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they searched the, they received the word with readiness of heart, but they searched the scriptures out to make sure that what Paul was telling them was indeed true. Uh, do that. Don't believe a word that Reverend Kojo says. Go and search these scriptures. Go search history and see the parallels for yourself. And hold me accountable, okay? Um but again, we were talking about how, how it had the first, second, and third floors. Um, everything that God does is, is, is done in order. God doesn't do anything out of order. And he does everything with purpose and with reason. Um, and so I think that the fact that he gave explicit instructions on how to build the ark, just like he gave explicit instructions on how to build the tabernacle, just like he gave explicit instructions on how to go about the ark of the covenant, I think it it is very important that we notice that God is a God of order and that he there are specific reasons to the way that he made everything. Um, from what I understand, that each of the rooms where, where there were large rooms that would fit elephants and giraffes and there were smaller rooms that were perfect for little tiny animals, there were there was he, he formed this thing in a way that would accommodate everything that it had to hold in a manner that would sustain them for the 300 and I think 70 something days that they were aboard, which is like, that's, that's great. Like that's wild to me, especially when we think about humans who plan, we plan, 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 plan. And even in our planning, yet we still always seem to be scrambling and we find issue. But when God sets out a plan, it is always perfect in his design even when we don't understand it, okay? 
uh, moving, moving right along. Uh, he says, well, let's look at this. Now, now that we've looked at this arc coming into being, I think there are three arcs in, in scripture that we want to think about. Um, we have Noah's Ark, of course, the one we're discussing. And then there's Moses' Ark. Oh, did y'all know that was an Ark? Moses' Ark, they carried him when he was a baby from uh, the top of the river to Pharaoh's house. And then there's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Ark, according to Genesis 50, 26, means it's defined as coffin. It suggests golf. It suggests, it's a suggestive of death, okay? Which is kind of ironic considering um, your, <laughs> in, in Noah's case, it almost was a role reversal because usually you put dead people in coffins, but he put the alive people in the ark while he um, killed everybody else out around the ark. Um, in Noah's case, it's, it, but it's almost reversed. Uh, it was not Noah's death, but it was everybody else's death. But we could also suggest that it is a prophecy to Jesus because God says, come when they board the ark. Um, and you remember when he says um, several times in the New Testament, come unto me, do not suffer them to, do, do not suffer little children to come. And, and he, he bids them to come as you are. And he, he all of these things just come, 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 come. Um, and so I think um, when we look at this this thing about the ark you remember when Moses was put in his ark he was it was the opposite as well um usually you think of a coffin you think of something that holds death um and this was something that in these arcs in the bible is something that pervades death and it is the antithesis antithesis of what uh death typically represents and I just I just found that really really interesting um, now the existence of the ark is recorded hundreds of years prior to Jesus, who says it can be spotted in the mountains of Armenia. Like I said, at Mount Ararat is pretty, um, is, is still there. It is still high. It is still, um, important. Now I think it's important that we realize that people have it said they have seen that, um, in recent days, as soon as like 1916, which is what roughly about 101 years ago. Um, it was referenced by Marco Polo in his journals of his explorations, um, and and all all of that stuff, and then it is ironic that the boat was landed at Mount Ararat, which means holy mountains. <laughs> I think that is no coincidence. I think God does things on purpose. I think when He uh, does everything, it is intentional. Like I said, even with the with the building of of the ark, um, God is He's He's interesting to me. Like <laughs> it's it's just really interesting to see how He functions and how He 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 is so strategic in everything that He does. Um. And then he says, starting in verse 17, he says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Um, and he says, he says, I'm, I'm, I myself am bringing, um, bringing floodwaters. I, he, I, God has to establish that I'm not sending some angel. I'm not sending these, these angelic creatures that you all seem to be worshiping. These, these Nephilim, none of no, none of these people are the ones that are destroying the earth. I myself am going to destroy the earth. Like I am upset with you. I don't want you to be confused about it. I don't want you to understand. And it's kind of, again, it's reminiscent to me uh, about my parents is when we get in trouble, um, not only would we get a spanking and be put on punishment, um, but they would make sure that they expressed that they were upset with us and why they were upset with us. Um, there was uh, <laughs> there was not much confusion in our house. I think there was only one time that I've ever been confused as to why I was in, in trouble, um, and it just didn't make sense because it was very plain to me. And my parents made sure they understood why that I understood why I was getting tr in trouble and what the issue was. And so we see God doing that, and we know that God is like the ultimate parent. 
Um, he is, you know, a lot of people refer to him as, as father God or daddy God. And, and we see him in here as he is punishing humanity. He is making sure that it is made known why he is upset and what the issue is. Um, but what I love about him is in verse 18, he says, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and they shall be female. So one thing about God is that God is a gracious God. Like God, and in, 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 I think in everything that he does, really just he wants you to acknowledge him. He, you know, he seeks glory. Um, but he wants you to acknowledge him and he wants you to walk with him. And, and like, again, I'm saying it's, it's not about what you do and your deeds. It is about the fact that you have turned your heart to him and in turning your heart to him, you can find that salvation, that redemption and all of these things. And I believe honestly, that's where Noah found his, um, his, his favor with God. I don't think it had anything to do with what Noah had done in his own strength. I just think it was the fact that his heart was turned toward a sovereign omniscient God. Um, and so God establishes covenant with Noah because he found favor, just like he found favor with his grandfather, uh, his great grandfather, Enoch, um, just like he found favor with his, his, uh, his grandfather, Methuselah, um, he found favor. And so God kept that line alive. He kept that, he found, he moved in these people. And so now I believe that I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure that everybody on this earth can chase their lineage back to Noah. Uh, because of the covenant that he made with them here. Now, uh, verse 19, And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Obviously, we know why that's necessary. Um, 20, he says, Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of the creeping thing after their of us kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Okay. And, and so, you know, he, he's making sure he said, look, I created all these things. Why am I going to create them again? Go ahead and get two of them. We're going to build this big boat. You're going to go put them on the, on the boat and everything will be, uh, will be sealed. Now here's something that I'm sure you, that you have not noticed. Um, he says two of every kind, keep them alive and you should take for yourself all the food that is eaten and you should gather, uh, gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. Um, brr, 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 brr. Um, <laughs> thus Noah did according to all God commanded to him. And so he did. Okay. And that concludes verse, the chapter seven, but we're going to keep trucking along, um, <laughs> because it, it continues to get good. Verse chapter seven begins. And he says, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Now we know that according to the to the Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, that righteousness is not given according to what you do. Being right with God comes about through faith. When you have faith in God, you will you are made righteous. In other words, when you have faith in God, you are made right. And so He has seen that you are righteous before me in generations. In other words, you trust me, and since you trust me. You're righteous in my sight. It's funny how so many people work to be righteous and to be self-righteous. And in their self-righteousness, they are not even made righteous in the sight of God. How awful is that? Like that is, that's, that's disturbing. You work your whole life to be right. You work your whole life to do great deeds. You work your whole life to be self-righteous and so that you can look your nose down at somebody and you're not even seen as righteous in the, in the only eyes that it matters. That's crazy. Oh, it's crazy. Like, Ooh, like that, that, that sucks. Um, <laughs> verse two, he says, you should take with you seven each 
um, seven each of every clean animal, a male and a female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Now, I'm willing to bet most people don't even know that, that there were seven of a kind that were clean animals and two of the kind of animals of unclean animals. Because in our minds, you know, we talk, I was taught in Sunday school and Bible study and through the little books that I got when I was a child that <laughs> it was two by two and animals were the two by two. And that's where the buddy system came from and, and all of these things. And we taught them in like that when I was going through school. And it's, it's been met, not, hit into my head over and over and over again. They were boarded by two by two by two by two by two. Um, but here we see that the clean animals boarded in sevens. Now we know seven is completion. <laughs> and so, and, 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 but here's the depth of this and I'm going to try to slow down. I know I'm talking fast. I'm just excited. Um, here's the depth in this. The clean animals were boarded by in sevens. The unclean animals were boarded in twos. Seven is completion. We're in the middle of a destruction of things that are happening that are unclean. And so God is requiring seven, a complete overhaul. Who this is getting deep. A complete overhaul into the new, in the new world, into the new existence. He's requiring something new, something that people have not seen. Um, and so he's requiring more of cleanliness. Now he's not exiling or saying that the unclean animals are bad. He's just saying that the clean animals have to be there more. And as we'll see in, in like a two chapters or so, the first, the, uh, the first work of business on Noah's behalf is going to be to build an, uh, 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 an altar where I'm sure he'll, he begins sacrificing the clean animals. Um, but I do believe it is, it is quite amazing and it is quite, uh, admirable that we see the differentiation between the clean animals and the unclean animals, which will become very important as we move through Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Okay, so he says to keep, he said, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. Okay, for after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Then I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the Florida waters were on the earth. Okay, now he's really specific with this, and this is going to be really important when we get to the end of today's podcast, because when we tie this back in, it is going to blow your mind like it blew my mind on how dynamic God is when it comes to his timing. When people say he's an on-time God, like, oh my goodness. And, and the funny thing is, a lot of people don't do the research to see just how much of an on-time God God is. Like, it is absolutely dumbfounding how precise he is and how even he orchestrates it in the beginning of his destruction of the earth and he aligns it with the uh, New Testament and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely, positively amazing. Um, I am <laughs> taken aback. Even, even in my personal life, I'm beginning to notice, as I notice in the Word, how God aligns things, and in His cycles, He He requires things, and in certain seasons, He allows the same things to happen over and over and over again. Why? Because He is a God of order. Okay, moving right along. Uh, verse five. Um, verse five, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years when the Florida waters on the earth. So in verse seven, so Noah with his sons, his wife and his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood of clean animals, of animals that are not unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded to Noah. And it came to pass. 
And it came to pass. Whew. Okay. And it came to pass, if I can find where I was reading. <laughs> and it came to pass seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. On verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, and in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. Okay. So, here, first, in verse 7, 11, we can look at the windows of heaven. Uh, we can rain. We can believe that the windows of heaven is poetic for the skies opened up and the water began to fall. This is the first instance of rain, period. Um, now, there's this thing that I'm, I didn't, had never heard of until recently, but I'm, I'm inclined to believe that it's truth on, and that it holds weight, and it's called the canopy theory. Now, the canopy theory is why people weren't aging so quickly. There's believed to be a, a barrier of condensation that built up around the earth that protected us from the radiation and from the, the destruction of the sun, um, and it kept the earth's uh, climate more stable than what we know today and what they knew in other days. And it prevented storms and, and all types of things, um, which is why the rain had never fallen because the canopy um, was consistently in the air um, and it never fell to the earth. Now, also, a lot of people do not know that when the rain broke loose, that it did not just break loose. Um, it didn't just break loose in rain, but it also was hot springs from the bottom. If you've ever seen, and this is probably going to date me um, as very young, uh, when I was little, there was this, this <laughs> series of movies called Ice Age, and there was no rain in Ice Age. Uh, there was hot springs that came up from the ground, and the water would start sprouting up from the ground. Um, so not only did the rain break out from the sky, but the rain also, <laughs> well, the water also came up from the earth. God's plan was to saturate this earth in water. Like, <laughs> he was not playing. He did not come to play games. <laughs> he was not joking. It, he was very serious about what he did um and there was no accident about what he did like in like again verse 11 in the 16th in the 600th year of noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on that day all of the fountains on that on the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open and the rain was on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights now when i was teaching this 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 study um just a couple of days ago to one of my youth groups I was talking to them about here in, well, I'm, at, I'm actually not in Birmingham, but in Birmingham, this is this major thoroughfare called the Parkway and the Parkway floods every time it rains, every time like there's like heavy rain, it floods and it floods really quickly. And I was asking them, I said, y'all know how quickly the, the Parkway floods? And they're like, man, it just take 30 minutes. And I said, y'all think about how quickly the Parkway floods. Now you imagine that for 30 days and 40 nights <laughs> and how much water that would be. Um, absolutely like mind-boggling like crazy 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 um and for 40 days and 40 nights like it just continued to torrential downpour like it just rained like nobody's business nobody's seeing water coming out the sky it's water coming out the earth <laughs> and i can just imagine being somebody that 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 came across noah and was like man i should have got on that boat <laughs> now i got left and this is the end um and so there, there we see uh, this, this plethora of issues coming about. Um, and so on the very same, verse 13, on the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons entered the ark. 
They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Now that is, that is a verse that kind of, it jumps out at you and it just makes you do some thinking, do some digging and do some extensive, like glory to God, like <laughs> worship, to be honest with you. Um, because you think about it now, we remember the boat was pitched within, without pitching was a way of waterproofing, but it wasn't believed that it needed to be pitched both within and without just pick one. Um, but it was pitched within, without, but then God took extra precaution and he shut them in. Um, and so it wasn't Noah that shut the doors. It wasn't the men on, on the boat that shut the doors. They were shut in by God. Okay. I believe that Noah couldn't have gotten out of that boat if he wanted to. They were sealed. Now, again, let's, let's go back to this concept of salvation that was given unto us to you, like Jesus Christ. Once you're saved, you're saved. Bible says that no one can pluck you out of my hands. And so it's amazing to me. Let's look at this. This, this, this ark is like a model of salvation. It's like a, like a like model of Christ and, and, and a, a precursor and, and a prophecy almost to um, what will happen on the cross thousands of years later. And he, he shut them in. And so they were sealed at the moment that they got on the boat. We are sealed at the moment that we receive Christ. I just think it's absolutely amazing how this word ties itself into itself before we even begin to see it. Like they say, what is revealed in the New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. You kind of have to do some digging and be familiar with the New Testament to understand the Old Testament and to see the beauty of it. Because if you just read the stories, you're like, these are just stories. This is not deep. This is this is a waste of my time. Let me just read the New Testament. But if you do some digging in the New Testament and you relate that bad boy to the Old Testament, God is amazing. And you can't convince me otherwise. I'm sorry. We'll just have to argue about that and agree to disagree if you don't believe me. Whew. Moving right along, verse 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days, and the waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and it greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts, and every creeping thing that the, the creeps on the earth. And every man, all the, all in those nostrils was the breath of life. All that was on dry land died. Look, everybody had to go. (laughs) When there were no divers, nobody was holding their breath. Even the people who were great at holding their breath, everybody had to go. There wasn't nobody sparing. And so he, he, he makes it very clear that I look, I ain't, I didn't come to play. I didn't come to try and make you feel good about the situation. Look, I had to take everything and everybody out. Um, and I'm just, you know, and, and it makes you look at, it really makes you look at the times and the, and the days because um, you can see the earth having its, its, its I guess, pregnancy, its, its, its birthing pains, and it's going through some things, and it's upset. And you can see that God is not happy with us. He's not pleased. But even in him, in him not being happy and him not being pleased, he has yet extended grace to us to accept salvation in Jesus Christ, just as he did with the ark. <laughs> okay, let's keep reading. 
all, well, verse 23, and so he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the earth, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So there was plenty of water for 150 days. Um, I joked with the kids earlier this week. Um, <laughs> and they took a 150 day cruise and really it was a 370 day cruise. Um, it's just that the water, uh, was up high, um, that long. Okay. We're in chapter eight, moving trucking right along through the Noah story. I would say, stop me, but you, you're not here to stop me. So I hope that I'm, I'm, uh, moving. So, but then in verse, in chapter eight, he starts with this great, great statement. He says, and then God remembered Noah. Okay. And God remembered Noah. I don't think <laughs> that he, he was saying, I remember Noah like, oh, well, Noah, sad little thing. Oh, he was such a nice little soul. <laughs> I don't think it was like <laughs> fond memories of what they shared. I think when he remembered Noah, it was like, um, when he wanted, when he, when Samson asked that the Lord remember him or Hannah wanted to be remembered or how on the thief on the cross next to Jesus Christ said, remember me, um, when you went, remember me, um, you, you know, it wasn't about a memory. It was a call for God in his love to intervene on your behalf. Okay. Save my soul or save my existence. And so God remembered Noah, like he didn't forsake Noah. Noah was covered and taken care of in all that he did. Like he was cool. He was signed, sealed, and he was getting ready to deliver him. Uh, subsequently I'm in the new King James version and the heading says Noah's deliver deliverance, but he was signed, sealed, and now he was about to be delivered. And his remembrance was the deliverance key. Um, and so it, it, I think that is one of the things that we must remember that in salvation, in being saved, that he remembers us. Uh, we're not forgotten. Our name is going to be sealed in the, in the, uh, Lamb's book of life. When we get to heaven, boy, we're going to get to skip right on up there and be like, Oh, I'm sealed, baby. I got a free ticket. Uh, Jesus come and he, he'll say, yep, that's my buddy. That's my child. They, they, we, we hung out together. We walked together. We love, we know. I love that, that kid. Yeah, the kid messed up, but it's okay. I'm intervening on, on their behalf. I'm interceding on their behalf. You can just charge it to my tab. Um, and so he remembers Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. They were set aside. They were different than everybody else who was existing at this point because everybody else was being wiped out. But he remembered them. They were taken care of. Um, and God made a wind pass over the earth and the water subsided. Now we can look at, we can look at this wind and maybe it was just a wind like a, uh, but then maybe it was like a spirit. We know throughout the Bible, sometimes the wind is like a spirit. Um, either way you look at it, it's still supernatural. Uh, regardless, it came from God. And I don't think that it's, it's that important that we, we send spend time in, in those semantics. But the waters subsided. And so the waters began to go down. And, and we're getting, they're getting eager, you know. I'm sure you're getting crammed up on the boat. You've been on the boat for about a year. I'm ready to get off this thing and go, can resume this thing called, we call life. And on this new earth, and we get to go plenish it. Everything we can call claim to, we can go get some ownership on some land. I'm excited. It's time for something new. <laughs> uh, verse two, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. So the rain stopped. Uh, the windows from heaven uh, were stopped. He, he cuts it off. He says, all right, I think we've done our job. Everybody's gone. 
Uh, we can begin to let these waters con continue to recede and we can let this earth be new, be fresh and revived. Now, at the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. Okay. Y'all, this gets deep. Okay. You remember it was the 17th. It was the, it was the seventh month, the 17th day when they began, right? Well, this, this gets really, really, really tricky. Okay. So in trying to track the seventh month gets difficult. Um, Nizan becomes the first month, which was the seventh month, but this is why Nizan, Nizan, and this is the Hebrew calendar, of course, because it's, you know, it's what we're talking about. Now, God delivers them through the water. Now, we got to go back. Hold on. Let's go to Exodus real quick. When we go to Exodus, remember, God delivers them through water in Exodus and makes that the first month. So Nizan, which was the seventh month, becomes the first month, okay? Coincidentally, that was Friday the 13th, okay? Now, you remember the day that they walked in the heat, he, he split the waters, and, and, you know, this is amazing. He, he delivers them through water a second time, okay? We remember when he splits the waters? That was the same day of Passover. Now, if you remember Passover, Passover was a great day for Jews, but a bad day for Egyptians. If you didn't have lamb's blood on your door, who, if you didn't have lamb's blood on your door, your kid, your first kid is dead. And, like, all throughout this place, everybody's first kid is dying. Um, so it's like this, this celebratory time for the Jews, but it's like this time that is terrible uh, for the Egyptians. So the Egyptians and pagans see Friday the 13th as a bad day. Now, y'all think about that. Friday the 13th, people still say that unlucky, unlucky, unlucky. That's what they get this from. Like, y'all, I'm telling you, everything points back to the Bible. <laughs> um, but Friday the 13th was since a bad day to pagans. But really, as people who believe in God, it is a wonderful day to be celebrated. But it gets better. Like <laughs> it gets better. What would be the Friday? <laughs> what would be Friday the 13th would mark the beginning of Passover, which again alludes to the cross. And how, Reverend Kojo, how does it allude to the cross? As we track back through history, the boat was docked on the 17th day of Nizan, the same day Christ rose from the dead. How do we know that? Christ was crucified on the first day of Passover, which is the 13th day of Nizan. He rose, <laughs> which was also Friday the 13th. How great, how crazy is this? And then he rises three days later, 17th day of Nizan. Nizan, 17th day of Nizan, and the boat is docked at Aratat, which means holy mountain. When we look at how great God is, like it is absolutely mind-boggling. When we look at this thing, like there is no detail that he spared. Like he did everything. Like he made sure that there was no way that you could say that I am not God. He could say, there's no way that you, that I didn't orchestrate this thing from the beginning. And if you want to believe that I'm haphazard, you look at my word and you tell me I'm haphazard. You look at my word and talk about contradiction, baby. It ain't no contradiction. You look, you dig deep enough and you'll see how deep I really am. And y'all, I, in case you can't tell, I am really in love with Jesus. Like <laughs> I am really in love with his word. Like it is absolutely amazing and mind boggling to me how how far he will go to make his point, how far he will go to make sure that you see how in order he is and how much he loves order and how, how much he will tie things in to make sure that you understand the significance of this day to this day. And y'all, you know, it's at least 4,000 days, 4,000 years in between these events, probably more, but at least 4,000 days, 4,000 years in between these events. And you mean to tell me the same day that he docks the boat, <laughs> the same day that he docks the boat, on Noah's case, to restart this thing is the same day that Christ dies on the cross to create a way, the truth, and the life. Y'all, God is so deep.
<laughs> it's absolutely amazing to me. Absolutely amazing to me. And I hope you didn't miss that because it was every detail of Christ's ministry was foreordained well before, <laughs> well before even his generations. We be, begin to look back at the generations. Like, you know, we started Abraham, but you could start a bad boy at this thing at Noah. And it was all foreordained. All foreordained. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Whew. Y'all, this is, I'm, I am, I am taken aback. But keeping, keeping, we're going to keep going. <sighs> Where did I stop reading? <laughs> um, okay, I think I'm in. Um, yeah. Okay. So verse five, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the 10th month, the, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the earth. And from the dove found no resting place or soul for her foot, or for she returned uh, into the ark to him. For the waters were faced with the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark himself. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening. And behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which had not returned yet again to him. And it came to pass. <laughs> Y'all, just a fun fact. I looked up in my Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, the word pass. Do y'all know that in the Bible, <laughs> it came to pass is literally like mentioned like two or three pages worth of it came to pass <laughs> in scripture. Um, I'm sorry, that was a nerd moment. but it, And it came to pass in the 600 <laughs> and first year in the first month, the first day of the month that the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And indeed, the surface was dried up from the earth, and no removed the covering from the ark, and looked, and indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. And the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. And then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out from every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Uh, Verse 18, so Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with them, every animal, every creeping, creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Who boy. So, you know, I think it would have been more convenient if he would have landed in a valley, but he didn't land on the valley. He lands at Mount Ararat. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, um, there have been accounts that, he um that people have seen it seen mount ararat which is actually kind of deep to me and it's kind of deep to me because the fact that they have seen it points to the need that there would be a use for it and the fact that it is in in a place where there is most day most of the time is covered in um uh, most of the time it is covered in ice which is a preserver is actually deeper to me and it just it just makes me curious as to what God is going to do. Um but that's that's just my musings and that's just me looking at looking at the word and and just being curious as to what God is going to do. Um hopefully I'll be looking from heaven when he gets ready to do whatever he's going to do. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be here, <laughs> especially if it has something to do with tribulation or anything like that. I don't want to be here. Um, I want to be in heaven uh, looking down that way. If I'm looking down that way, I might be laying prostrate in worship um, if we're going to be real about it. But we're moving along. Um, and then we start to see uh, when we get to verse 20, we start seeing God's covenant with creation. So then, then Noah built an ark, an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered bird offerings to the altar. And look, I want you to notice that Noah's first order of business, as soon as he debarks the ark is to build an altar. Um, and so he, his first, his first train of thought was to give honor to God, was to give God all that was, that was due to him. Like not, not, not even to think about the fact that he just lived on an ark for a year with God, but his first act of business was to, and it was to get before God and to lay pro to, to go and make sacrifice and to worship God, uh, for what he had done and for who he was. When the scripture says that Noah walked with God, God was his numero uno uh, priority. Like he was not interested in doing other things. He had flaws and he was a jacked up creature and he had issues. But let us not forget that his first act of business was to give God the glory. I think if we, if more of us would make our first act of business was to give God the glory, we would find that our existence on this earth would be much easier. If if our first our first instinct was to look go to the God in prayer, to seek the face of God before we did anything, we we would find out that our our lives would be simpler, that we would find much more favor in the sight of God. When our first instinct is to tend to self. When our first instinct is to go build ourselves a tent, to go find ourselves something to eat, to eat instead of getting in the face of God, to check Facebook or Instagram first, to get on Pinterest first, to go and tend to our children first, we are, we're out of perspective. And you may be saying, well, Reverend Kojo, my kids are my first priority. You're wrong. You're wrong. And you may, you may hang up and not want to listen to another word I say, but see, God entrusted you, entrusted you to the children, but you're the one, but he needs to give you the guidance on how to deal with the children. So how can you get guidance from God on how to deal with the children if you deal with the children and then go seek him for guidance? Okay. You know, you may say, well, I've got to tend to the business. Well, if God gave you the business, how do you, how do you seek God for the, the guidance on how to deal with the business if you deal with the business before you go seek God? You'll say, well, I, I got to go tend to my husband. I got to tend to my wife first. God gave me my husband and wife. How do you go and tend to your marriage first when God is the one who gave you the marriage? How do you get instructions from the one who created what you have? And you, if you don't consult him first, I'm telling you, if you would, if we would stop asking God to walk with us and we would walk with God, our existence on this earth would shift. If our hearts were focused toward him first, we would, we would see a change in everything that we do. If our existence would just shift a little bit, it's not about you. It's not about your things. It's not about your family. It's about your walk with Jesus Christ, not his walk with you, but your walk with Jesus Christ, his first order of business. This man has been cramped up on a boat for a year. He didn't go fishing. You know, I love, I can't fish, but I love the water. He didn't go fishing. He didn't go sit out on the tranquility to go look at some water. He didn't go try to see some deserts. He didn't try to go, you know, go, go play with the dogs out and go throw the ball. He didn't try to go see his wife. He said, and granted he had been with his wife, he made an altar. Who is really your first priority? And I want you to think about this long and hard. And I know the correct answer is God, but I want you to think about today. Who is your first priority? I understand loving your children. I'm grateful I have parents that love me. 
But I'm also grateful that my parents love themselves as a couple more because God gave them themselves first and that they love God more than they love one another. If you would shift your heart to not be focused on your provision, but on the provider, mm, watch your life change. But let me get off this soapbox. <coughs> 21, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. God was pleased. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. In other words, we screwed up from the beginning, but he's not going to do that again. Now, he says, while the earth remains, uh, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and the day and night shall not cease. So many people, you know, most people believe that, well, not many, there are many scholars uh, that believe that the axis was sifted during the flood. They also believe that that's where the seasons come from. Now, there is substantial scientific evidence that the Earth has also reversed its orbit. Now, if we believe that that's where uh, the shift came about, um, and that's where we see a promise, he says, while the Earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and, and day and night shall not cease. It's believed that prior to this point, where when, when that, that sack was around the Earth, that there were not seasons. It was just perfect. You know, it was just like this, probably like 70 degrees every day, all day. There was no need for, for, for seasons to come and to go, to love and to change. But we see here that there is a shifting in the environment on the earth. And I just think that's really cool. But here here's another thing that I, I think we need to we need to pull out. Um, that if... Uh, Actually, no, let's, let's, let's talk about some fun facts real quick. So the ark only had one door, and I think I pulled this fact out. Christ spoke that he said that he was the only way. So that's when we can, we can draw the parallel between the ark and the cross. Now, um, here, th th but that speaks to other religions who were very sincere but yet perished in the flood. Now, remember, we had all these other different people walking the earth and, and these, these angelic creatures and all these things. And so you were pretty sure that they were worshiping other things. And, you know, that probably just upset God all the more. But... All these people who, who hold these loose theologies who are like, well, you just need to believe in a higher power and you, you're good. Well, we know that Christ is very clear that he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No way to the Father but through me. But I think the ark is another way I'll stop looking at that prior to Christ because there was only one door in the ark, so that was the only way to be saved in that way. I'm sure there are a lot of well-meaning people, a lot of sincere folks who perished in the flood because they did not come to Noah and get on the boat. People who had what we would say good hearts, you know, in our day and, and day and age, they had a good heart. But I believe they missed the boat, uh, literally, because they, they they were not they didn't they didn't do what they were supposed to do. I mean I think that's really sad. I think that's incredibly sad. I'm so sorry that to hear that. Like I'm mm, that that really sucks. Um, I also think we can look at the ark in the way of baptism. When we're baptized in Christ, we go under and come up anew. There are no deaths, there are no, but and, and then on the boat, there are no deaths, there are no births aboard the boat. Everybody had to do it for themselves, okay? So they didn't have any new children on the boat, and, and the new children that came along still had to choose God for themselves. Um, I think the boat is a great a great model of baptism. Uh, it rolled the water. The people who, who got on the boat um, were redeemed. Um, they couldn't make the decision for their children. Their children couldn't be redeemed for them when, 
when they got to Earth, when they got back on the land, sure, they started to uh, multiply and all that good stuff. Um, but they had to, they had to um, make those decisions for themselves. I think it's just like baptism. I think it's just like coming to Christ. You've got to make the decision for yourself. I can dedicate you all day long, but your salvation is in your hands. What you decide to do is up to you. Um, now, one of the things that we see um, after the after the flood is that the oceans become more extensive. There's much more less land. Um, the thermal blanket is removed. There are shorter lifespans. The existence of snow and ice begin to come about. There's no rain or snow prior to the flood. Uh, they preserve mammoths. They have plenty of pictures where there are mammoths that are frozen in place in places like Antarctica and the North Pole um, and, and the Ark, which we believe that it is the ice that has preserved the Ark up to this point. Um, there's the presence of winds and storms. There were no winds and storms prior to the, to the flood. Um, and then we see the instability of the earth's crust, mountains and valleys. Uh, Christ points to that in Matthew uh, 4. We see higher mountains, lower valleys. Um, just the earth changed as a result of this flood. Um, a lot like I would believe the earth changed or there was, it, it did a new thing like it did in uh, Genesis, between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. But, you know, that's my speculation. We have proof of what happened here. We don't have much proof of what happened between Genesis 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2. Um, now, let's move on to chapter 9. Like I told you, I promised you we were going to go a little bit longer. But we were going to get through this Noah thing, okay? So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Sound familiar? And fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be that every beast of, on the earth and every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given unto your hand. Okay? There are issues between men and man there that, that, that are born here in this spot. Uh, verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So prior to this, they weren't eating meat. Like everybody, everybody was vegan up until this point, and now they're not eating meat. Uh, but they're in there. They can eat. They can eat just by every every moving thing belongs to you. You can eat what you want to eat. Go eat a cow if you want it. Go do what you want. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. In other words, cook that stuff. Kill it. Kill it. Don't eat nothing that's alive. That's nasty. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure God had other reasons other than that's nasty. But that's just me uh, being crazy. Um, verse 5, surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Here we see capital punishment born. The, the, the death penalty is born in Genesis 9. To all of you people who are like, I can't believe in a God that would, mm -mm. the death penalty is born <laughs> in chapter 9. Um, now we can debate further as we move into the New Testament whether it's legitimate now and whether we should do that now. But the death penalty is born in Genesis 9. God requires the, 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 the life of a man who takes the life of another man, um, which is different from what he required of Cain. You remember? Um, which I, I believe those are two completely different uh, instances. Moving right on along. Uh, chapters, uh, verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it. And then God spoke to Adam, to his son, saying to him, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that I go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, 
Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And so there are no more floods to destroy the earth. He makes this promise. Now, here is how we can make our case for a universal flood. If we believe that this was a local flood, because, you know, there are very well-meaning Christians who like to, to suggest that the, the flood that happened here in Genesis was a local flood. Um, a, we would, Noah and the animals could have just relocated if it was a local flood. But then, too, as we continue to move, uh, move forward, we would make a liar out of God if we would believe that it was a local flood. <laughs> We would make a liar out of God if we believe it was a local flood because he said, never again will I destroy the earth with a flood. How do you destroy? He, he, would, he would say that I'm not going to do this anymore. Well, I remember just a couple of years ago, Katrina uh, displaced a lot of people to, to Birmingham and to other and to surrounding areas when it flooded New Orleans. Uh, by way of, of, of hurricane. I, just a couple of weeks ago when hurricanes were hitting America like crazy, <laughs> like back to back to back to back, um, there was a lot of flooding. Uh, Houston was flooded like nobody's business. A lot of people died. And so the, the idea that you would like to present and be like it was a local flood lies. The Bible, no, it was universal. Jesus Christ said it was, it was, it was universal. Uh, several accounts throughout the Bible said that Peter says it was, I, that it was universal. But I think Jesus Christ, period, saying that it was universal is enough. The flood was universal. It was not a local flood. It was a universal flood. The whole earth flooded, period, point blank. It is what the word says. Stop arguing that it was a local flood. It was a universal flood, period, point blank. The earth was wiped out. There were not anybody was left. I'm, look, I'm making it clear. It was a universal flood, okay? Put that, put that to death. Okay, keep on moving. And then God says, God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for per perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth and that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. It shall be when I bring a, a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become the flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh on the earth. And so the rainbow, now let's let's think logically before we get super spiritual. The rainbow, now if you've ever paid attention when it rains, if you look hard enough, you can just about always see a rainbow. Now, especially when it when the sun is out. That's proof enough that it had never rained, rained before. The fact that nobody had ever seen a rainbow. Um, <laughs> you let that water hit and that sunshine hit, and then you're going to see a rainbow. I can't tell you how many rainbows I've seen in my lifetime. Several, 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 several. Now, it wasn't until recent years. Now, I've always known that it was a sign of the covenant. But I haven't in recent years. It got all warm on the inside. Look at, look at God and his covenant. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't really in, like I was into the word. Like I grew up in church. And I grew up in a household where my parents teach Bible study and Sunday school and review and, and are gifted teachers and get invited to teach all the time. So like I like I, I, I know the word. <laughs> I knew the word, grew up in the word. Like we had a Bible study as a family. Uh, don't let somebody.
somebody be sick <laughs> when I got sick growing up because <laughs> I was a sickly child. And then if I missed church, you better believe mama was going to have church, air quotes, at home. Like we, we weren't going to just not have church. Um, but I, I never understood how wonderful it was when I saw a rainbow and thought about it and be like, God, that's covenant. He really loves us. Like, that's covenant. We are so screwed up, but yet he has honored his covenant. Glory be to God that he has honored his covenant. Ooh, praise God. Absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm so, like, ooh. I'm sorry. I'm, I just get excited about the word. Whew. Now, here. Now, like I, I've, I've said a couple of minutes ago, let's remember that the art is like a model of Christ. And I believe that he, he did wonderful things. And I believe that is a great showing of what he did and what he would plan to do and his, his, his whole redemption for mankind. And it's just a reminder that even in our flawed state, he loves us. He cares for us. And he is so wonderful. Oh, God, that's wonderful. So, y'all, we made it through six through nine. That is the story of Noah. And we'll pick up about knowing his sons next time. We'll just tack that on to chapter 10 um, and 11. But uh, y'all, God is great. Oh, he's wonderful. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your covenant. We thank you that you are God all by yourself, that you didn't need any help. And and you've kept us and preserved us in our state. God, help our hearts to stay turned toward you, God. Help us to walk according with you, God, and not to require you to walk with us, God. We love you and we praise you for your goodness and your mercy, God. You're just so, so wonderful and so fine. We just praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I'm glad you decided to join me here at Bible School. Uh, don't forget to turn tune in tomorrow as well for Revelation. And again, on Thursday, uh, to be back in Genesis. Y'all be blessed. <laughs>